0: Welcome back to the Compete Clarity Podcast, the show that aims to make some sense of CI, bringing novices and newcomers the actionable advice they need to make an impact fast. Today, my guest is competitive intel extraordinaire, Mayer Palter. Mayer has had a long and storied career in tech, with tenures at Oracle, Dell, Amazon Web Services, and Databricks, where he is the competitive intelligence lead. On today's show, we talk about the importance of prioritization, how you can succeed even without abundant resources, and how Mayer sees AI and automation playing a part in CI in years to come. All right, Mayor, welcome to the show. First of all, perhaps you'd like to give people a bit of your background, how you first got into CI?
1: Absolutely, happy to. So, uh, beginning of my career, I tried to build a business of my own, and it didn't succeed. It kind of shaped how I think about we, that the importance of competition and paying attention to competition. And um, then I worked in a whole host of different technology, large tech companies, small tech companies, and uh, gravitated towards these roles, which are at the intersection of customer, product, and competition. So I worked at companies like Oracle, Dell EMC, AWS, Amazon Web Services, and now at Databricks. And now for the last several years,
0: I, I took roles, which are purely about building the company's compete muscle. Awesome. Awesome. It seems like there's, there's a real like passion for tech in your background, but would you say that's true? Oh, absolutely. There is passion for tech because it's so fast
1: moving. There's never a dull moment. Every day there's something new. Like these days we keep hearing what chat GPT and Microsoft and Google going at each other. There's always very interesting things happening in tech. Uh, because of the fast-paced nature of it. And more importantly, I started my career in building my startup by my own, which is like really small. So I wanted to see the scale of things. So I ended up working at large companies to learn the scale and
0: then came back to a startup. Oh, interesting, interesting. I, I bet that fast-paced nature really lends itself to, to competitive intel as well. So, so the show is all about helping people new CI flourish. It's about helping them to make progress efficiently, and learn from the expertise of those who've gone before them um that's true whether whether they've never done competitive intel before or maybe they've been doing it a while but perhaps they're looking to learn how the experts like yourself do things and maybe improve their own workflows a bit so i thought we'd start at the beginning really Uh, when someone joins a new business and is setting up a compete program for the first time uh, where would you say they should start I would say uh, it depends on three things. I know it's a classic
1: answer of it depends, but I like to dive into what it depends on. This is a mental model on how to think about it as you read the context. You join a new company, you're trying to read the con- context, you're going on a listening tour, speaking to a whole host of different people, trying to get the feel for the culture. So I say it depends on three things. Uh, and I've tried to do it at two different companies, so it's purely based on not the smartest guy, I'm just sharing what I've, the play I've seen before. First, it's about the culture of the organization. Second, it's about the market or the space you play in. And third, it's about where competitive intelligence sits within the organization. So first, culture of the organization, like try to get a sense of how are competitors being viewed in the business? Does, does competing comes naturally as a core part of doing business or is it perceived as a separate thing you do once in a while uh, when needed? also the CEO's posture towards the competition. Does the CEO openly talk about competition or it's more conservative that it's likely kept a secret, your strategy is not openly talked about so much. I'll give you a few examples. Like I worked at a company called Oracle and where the CEO Larry Ellison, uh, the world famous Larry Ellison, is known to be very competitive and he's one of the most competitive leaders in the industry, longest standing CEO in the tech industry, he's kind of shaped the tech industry that competitive DNA trickle down throughout the entire organization. So that's the culture, just to give you one example. To contrast that with another company I work with, which is Amazon and its cloud business, AWS, where they have a clear leadership principle, customer obsession, which says that, yes, leaders do pay attention to competitors, but they choose to obsess over customers. So there is draw a paddle between the two, there's two extremes. And you may find somewhere in the middle, that's culture. Second is the market you play in. Is it a very crowded space? Or is this space still emerging? Are you trying to define a new category of its own? Like AWS defined the cloud, like different companies defined their new spaces? Or are you a challenger to an established leader in the category? Think of software as a service, think of artificial intelligence, and analytics, and cybersecurity, and you know, all these uh, Bitcoins these days. Like, it doesn't matter. Are you operating in a very crowded space, well-established, and it, uh, are you trying to differentiate yourself where Every, everyone seems and sounds the same, or are you the one defining the category? So that's the market you play in and how you're perceived. Third is, where does CI sit in the organization? By CI, I mean competitive intelligence, of course. Is it a corporate function, centralized? Or is it sitting in one of the lines of business? It shapes, the reason why that's important, it kind of shapes the direction that you, the, the direction that you take and where you get started and the span of influence you may have and subsequently the impact you may have on the entire organization. Uh, give you an example. If CS sits within marketing, your area of influence is heavily geared towards competitive positioning. Versus if you sit in under product, you may be over-indexed on identifying product gaps. If you are the corporate, you're kind of defining the blueprint of how to execute in the field, in the product, in the market, and across different functions. Because you can essentially compete on anything. You can compete with a company based on the based on the paper you print print on. Uh, this is a classic example of um, Aldi, which is so cost-conscious that their CEO wants stopped a meeting and said, oh, this paper that you gave me this report on is too thick. We should cut cost here. So you could compete on anything. And Aldi is very successful in business, as you know. So those three things, culture, the market you play in,
0: and where CS sits within the org structure. In doing these things for yourself the first few times, what what challenges did you face that you think newcomers to CI, these days might face too? Is there anything, for example, that you wish you'd known when you first started out that you think, uh, wow, this one piece of advice could really have saved me a lot of time and perhaps a few headaches as well?
1: Well, I've made tons of mistakes, so I'm thinking of which one to share and which one not to. <laughs> uh, the, the most common themes that emerge is how you think about the role. Some folks get too over-indexed on one part of the business, whether it's competitive enablement for the field or closely working with product, or competitive messaging, or the guiding the strategy. In this case, you have to be um, a jack of all trades and still be the master of your function at the same time. So it requires some level of this ambidexterity of being able to. It's a being able to do both. It's not either or. And but most important piece here is competing is a team sport. So no matter how good you are and what you deliver to the business, you need to bring the community together because they are your voice. And that trickles down to working backwards from voice of customer. It kind of works like a feedback loop, working backward, customer at the center, their decision at the center of it, with everything we do around that. Customer advocacy, developer relations, evangelism, marketing, all the world tours or conferences you do, like if you can turn your entire company, all the employees to speak that language of differentiation, then your job is pretty much done because everybody is just, it just scales massively. And uh, most cases, competitive is so cutthroat, competition is so cutthroat in the tech industry that you need all hands on deck. So I would say build a community around you, find like-minded people, who share that deep passion that you have for competing and winning
0: and your job would be so much easier. Awesome. Awesome. So, so creating a a real culture of competitive intelligence throughout the business, uh, sowing those seeds everywhere so that it starts to become um, more self-sufficient, I guess you'd say.
1: Yeah. More, more self-sufficient, more self-service.
0: Awesome. Let's move ahead then a little bit and talk about prioritization for a second. So when the CI program really starts to take off and is becoming successful and perhaps the the early doubters who thought, you know, maybe I'm not going to use this information or this first iteration of a battle card isn't super useful to me. Um, when that starts to change and the, the, the enablement material really starts to come into its own, for a lot of CI practitioners, they start to get swamped and overloaded with requests from all corners of the business um, once those corners start to see how useful CI can be. So how do you prioritize requests yourself when they come in? Um, and how do you make sure those are as aligned as possible with the overarching needs of the business?
1: Uh, well, that's a great question. And the the question behind the question or the premise is, of course, CI functions tend to be really small. The teams tend to be really small, lean but mighty. So how do you find ways to scale yourself and the impact you have? Without being jumping on each and every meeting possible with a customer, for example. So um, imagine yourself like playing a game of soccer, for example. Um, there are two ways to play it. One, if you see competition and you're chasing the ball, everybody starts running behind it. That's one. The other is you learn how to pass the ball and trust the other person is going to carry it through. So in this case, you have to find scaling mechanisms. Now, this is what something I learned at Amazon, where scaling mechanisms are talked about as a core, uh, a core tenet. Uh, a tenant is something, a belief or a principle that you follow um, wholeheartedly. For example, building a flywheel. Look at Amazon.com's business of selling everything on the web. It offers, it be, It works based on a flywheel where it sits in the middle and there are two sides of the business, the, the sellers and the buyers. But the notion of a flywheel is initially this, you have to exert force to put this into motion. But when it reaches certain momentum, it kind of spins on its own. And it doesn't require any further force to be to be projected against it. It just keeps going on its own. That's what a flywheel is, and it keeps getting bigger and bigger. Similar is the notion of building a competitive intelligence flywheel within the organization, where at the core of it, you're trying to initially get get the program off the ground, but then bringing in these different functions and roles with specific responsibilities and inputs to the business. In some cases, think of this like a typical racy chart. Some cases, they're accountable for delivering some things. Some cases they're consulted or just informed. But as long as they are in the know and contributing some part of that flywheel, it all comes together. Then you make conscious choices of how to prioritize, where rather than going and thinking that you know what you need to prioritize, it's good to ask people up front. This is another notion of, Putting a PR FAQ, a press release out there, this is what the future is going to look like before you've even written a single line of a battle card or a single line of code. This is a notion of uh, working backwards. Working backwards, think of Stephen Covey's start with the end in mind. This is working backwards from the end result you want to see and then working backwards of who are the stakeholders who can make you successful or not and what inputs do you need at what time. So, for example, you're building a battle card, rather than going and building something and trading over it 50 times and getting lots of critical or constructive feedback, why didn't you bring those stakeholders in upfront? The challenge becomes every part of the business starts reinventing the wheel. They think there are expertise in the field, their are expertise in product, they have their own ways they think about it. They produce their own assets. Now everybody's confused what one thing to standardize on. If you can have that difficult conversation up front, then we are going to bet on this one piece and do this one thing really, really well. Though it slows us down in the beginning, in the long run, the fly will will take off. That early buying goes a long way. So the idea is to, to do a few number of things, but do them really, really well and have all stakeholders fully bought in into what we're gonna do.
0: Right. So I guess it goes back to, to what you said in, in the beginning about going out there, speaking to as many people as possible when you're new in the organization, really getting a sense of the the pulse of CI in the business, building rapport with the people you're going to be speaking to, and in that way, getting a sense of the the, the business requirements as they stand for for the people that you're going to be serving with the CI function and then keeping all those requests coming in, but just making sure they're aligned with those? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, And it's extreme level of prioritization, uh,
1: but keep an open mind and be willing to change your mind a lot based on new information that surfaces. Some cases you take a course of action and you just go with it because you're like, okay, well, we put in so much effort in here, let's just carry it through. But things change in our mess very quickly. So be open and willing
0: to change your mind a lot. Mm. I was hoping to go back to something you said about everybody reinventing the wheel. Um, and I think this is another thing that, uh, another challenge that practitioners face when they come, first come into an organization, there's all this work to do because competitive intelligence exists in the organization, but it's siloed. It's in this person's head over here, or it's in uh, you know a Google doc over there. And they're trying to stick to what has worked for them. But there's no single source of truth. What advice would you give to someone who needs to, first of all, centralize all that information, but secondly, get people on board thinking, okay, I'm going to try this out for a while and, and see how it goes, just to get them bought in just enough to, to start using the content, to start framing the positioning while they're selling in accordance with this new centralized source of truth.
1: Uh, yeah, th- this is a very common challenge, and I think it the challenge exists continues to exist in most organizations. It never goes away. The idea is to think about think about this as running an editorial. For example, if you run an editorial, there is one place to go to get information. If any time somebody is asking for information and you're triaging compete requests and so forth, n- try pointing everyone to this one place that go to, everyone goes to. This is training their muscle to say, next time this thing comes up, you go to this one single landing spot. Even though there are temptations to say, oh, here is one dock or let's jump on with this one person and try to figure things out. All of the the idea is to bring everything in that one place and then make conscious choices of what stays there, lives there, or what does not almost like a stamp of approval of what comes from the editorial versus not. And if you find stuff that the challenging part is deprecating or redirecting misinformation, there is more harm that can be done by stuff living in a silo, ungoverned, unmanaged, and but still being searchable and findable. Because if someone runs with it, they may land themselves in a very risky situation in front of a customer with with obsolete information or plain wrong, in uh, not so factual information. So the idea is, in addition to do prioritization and content building and so forth, you should also have an exercise of cleanup. That being able, it's like you clean, clean your house, you clean your uh, work area. It just brings more clarity if you keep doing that on a frequent basis. Uh, I've tried that in a few places where we just host a happy hour just to do cleanup. up. Bring your own beer or bring your own favorite adult beverage. Sit down and just let's go find all the stuff. And once you encounter find, you put notes on it, redirect it to the right information. Um, because honestly, there's so much damage that can be done by by letting that love uh, that letting that uh, content just just stay. So yeah, it's the constant cleanup. That's one idea. Uh, of course, there may no. There's no one right way to do it, but also you have to bring those folks in. You have to create those into CI champions. Uh, you can call themselves like compete ninjas who are part of this, this big army and they are the ones who are also contributing to the central information. Because what's in it for them is you are able to amplify their knowledge to it, the entire organization versus their, their uh, defined limited scope. So they, they are part of the program, be inclusive, let them, give them a platform where the voice gets heard um, and they come in. Uh, there is, in some organizations where knowledge is kept very siloed or very people hug their information, do not share that openly, there are some cultures like that. That becomes an even bigger challenge. Uh, but then a lot of companies are very transparent, very openly sharing, they operate with this model of share every, everything you know and compete with yourself rather than
0: not sharing information that openly. Net of it, it's it's about the wisdom of the crowds. Go on. So one thing we do get asked a lot about in the community is uh, is succeeding despite a lack of resources. As you alluded to earlier, a lot of CI teams are small. Um, they don't necessarily have the biggest budgets. There's perhaps only one product marketer doing CI part-time. And you know obviously the the lack of resources can manifest in other ways, like a lack of dedicated tools to help with the data gathering part of the process. Do you have any advice for people who find themselves in in those situations where there's not a whole lot of resource to lean on or do you find that actually if you're creative enough it's not too big a detriment uh
1: well the this is very common challenge with ci because ci uh functions tend to be not as well funded or it's not like a 10 20 50 people team Typically, uh, all the surveys in the past done by different organizations related to CI, the average size is a bit between two to four people on a team in, a, in a, a given company. That's kind of the average. So if you look at that two to four people team, this limited resources in a way is a forcing function to think more creatively. It's more to be taken as a challenge rather than complaining and whining about, oh, well, we don't have resources. If or we commonly hear, if we had this, we would be able to do that. But then it goes back to prioritization. As a CF function, your job is to do three things. You're trying to make sure the company knows how to differentiate themselves against the competition. Secondly, you're trying to make sense of what's going around, how the world is changing around us, how the competitive landscape, competitive product announcements, how the entire landscape is changing. And three is being staying super close to the voice of the customer. Think of it like the win-loss program or why, we, why, we, why you win or why you lose. So between these three things, how are you able to allocate your time based on different stakeholders because you may get pulled in different directions? Some cases, folks are more, it's like a 60-40 split, 60% of time with the field, 40% of the time with product. Some cases, it's 70, 20, 10, 70 time with the field, 20 with product, 10 with executives, depending on how closely aligned you are. So it's finding that right mix and being able to always come back to that and reprioritizing it. This is what needs to, needs to happen to move the needle because the classic challenge is working backwards from the KPIs you promised to the business. Going back to the KPIs, you were trying to, first of all, level set that expectation and this is what you're going to deliver. Now, some organizations are over-indexed on the revenue impact you have, while some organizations are more geared towards, okay, what's the win rate? Did we gain market share? Did we not? So it's it's about working backwards from those key deliverables uh, or the impact you have with content, the compete assets and so forth. So working backwards from the, so that's a multi-layer answer where KPIs is one, the stakeholders and how much time you spend and prioritize and divide between those three. And third is looking at as, as a forcing function to be more creative and find creative ways to do things. Where things are more self-service rather than where you need human intervention for folks jumping on meetings and calls and whatnot. Um, trying to triage those in a scalable way. Um, And and I've seen a friend of mine at a different company who considers CI's job as a a data librarian, where you're trying to help the organization navigate like a librarian does where to find the right information. That's one way to think about it. But the other way, you could be much more closely aligned to the the core strategy of the business on making new products successful, for example. Um, So back to your question, it's, Pick pick your battles, be very, very careful about how you prioritize and where you spend your time, and uh, it requires that ruthless prioritization. But across these three parameters, and of course there are more, but these are the top
0: that I could think of. Awesome, awesome. Um, okay, so we've talked about challenges a little bit, and I think um, this dovetails quite nicely actually into this this next question. Which is, um when it comes to getting results, what metrics would you say people should use to measure and demonstrate their success um, with the CI program?
1: Uh, yeah, that's a it's there is always this softness to how do you measure impact? should it be content, should it be impact on win rates? My position overall is there are input goals or metrics, and there are output metrics, no matter how many input goals you put together most CI organizations over-index on the inputs. We're gonna create X amount of assets, Y amount of people are gonna consume it. Hence, we created, they have this approximate measure of effectiveness of our complete content. Those are more input parameters. But you have to make sure there are some output goals in there too. Find a way to creatively uh, measure the impact on revenue. Whether you're helping grow the pipeline Grow the size of the deals, shrink or reduce the number of the days out, sales outstanding on the sales cycle to compress it, or the win rates itself. If you have a very clearly reliable way to measure that in your preferred CRM system, um, because there's a lot, most CRM systems in the world have some kind of data hygiene issues. And if you can fix that and build that into the system, Win rates would be the ultimate measure, followed by the impact on revenue, direct or indirect. And third could be impact on compete assets and so forth. Then there are softer ways to do it, like the competitive readiness of the field, for example. Now there are some anecdotes to it, there are some qualitative aspects to it, so you could run surveys to measure that and try to quantify that impact between two snapshots, where you establish a baseline, and revisit it after a defined period of time, for example. You could even go further to measure the impact of competitive intelligence on product. Like, how many gaps did you help prioritize in the product, like product feature request, which are, because of which you were losing business to competitors, and being able to prioritize the, the product gaps, the technical roadblocks, so that you have, uh, you unblock customers from adopting your platform in a way. So net of it, win rates, revenue to impact, impact with compete assets, competitive readiness of the field, product impact. So those are, that's like a laundry list. You, you pick which one's most aligned to your organization and
0: where the data is reliable um, and can be easily measurable. Cool. So, so you prefer that quantifiable data um, over the qualitative. And if it is qualitative, but you can find a way to quantify it. Do that because then it's measurable and then you know exactly where you start.
1: Absolutely. Otherwise, if it's purely left to anecdotes, then there is no way to show how you improve the program. Um, because unless you measure and quantify it, there's no way to say, oh, we did X percent better. Uh the common feedback you may hear is we need to do
0: more here and there's no way to measure that more brilliant um changing tack a little bit a subject now that i know is is close to your heart data um automation and of course um it's everywhere right now ai how much of a role do you see ai playing in competitive intelligence in the future will that just be in the data gathering phase might it apply to the analysis as well um and how much room will that leave for the human element, uh, do you think?
1: Uh, I think it's more augmented AI than AI in itself. It's not either or, it's not a zero-sum game. It's more augmenting AI with human sense-making and intuition, collectively. And the reason why I believe so is there are certain parts of competitive intelligence as a function which are very data-heavy for example, the data gathering or market intelligence or getting to making sense of the world around you. If you look at all the data has been generated every few years, the ability of humans to be able to comprehend that information is limited compared to the exponential growth in data that's been generated in just last few years. So if you draw it on a curve, the, the we have already are on the decline in our ability to comprehend that information compared to all the exponential growth in data. Because of which, there's no way you can make, you can consume it all or make sense of, of it all. So the idea is to find relevance and context in that data, in the data gathering phase, using AI, to be able to synthesize all that information and say, this is what's relevant, the signal versus the noise, being able to pick that, pick those signals. Beyond which, augmenting that, which still with human sense-making and intuition um, bring it all together. So that's the, the the area for the biggest impact, which is um, the, the, the data gathering and the market intelligence piece. On the enablement piece, there are creative ways to leverage data and AI, but if you want this whole piece to be data-driven, you have to make sure... Um, you, you're not leaving human intuition out of it. Otherwise, you could just give it to a machine will predict your competitor's moves, like the game of Go, um, or, you know pick your favorite AI game, like uh, Alpha Go that Google uh, beat. So typically we look at the rear view mirror when competing. We look at here is what the competitor announced. This is what changed in our competition. This is how we should respond. That's looking in the rear view mirror. Speed kills the competition. So if you're more closer to what's happening now, you're much closer to responding to things in real time. Otherwise, the damage is already done. We leveraging AI, there are possibilities to lean towards the future and being able to anticipate what may happen in the future and build a probabilistic model uh, using basic statistics, and then all the data gathering, that this is likely the direction your competition might take. And how should you try to get ahead of that proactively? So the past, the present, and the future is what was happening, what is happening now, what is about to happen in the future. That's one way to look at it from data gathering. And, but the human, uh, in. The human sense-making would never go away. I have never seen a single CI platform or any intelligence gathering tool has been able to crack it so far. It's more augmented
0: and it's, uh, it's and not either or. A massive thank you to Mayor Palter for joining us on the show and a huge thank you to you too for listening. If you'd like to find more from Mayer, follow him on LinkedIn, where he also publishes a monthly newsletter that covers the role of data and AI in competitive intelligence. Make sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts to hear more and head to competitiveintelligencealliance.io for networking opportunities, articles, industry reports, playbooks, certifications, and so much more besides.